This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Things are looking up when it comes to staffing for emergency first responders. But there is a long way to go. Quite not a third, but we're not far from a third either. So we're, st- we're still pretty far down. We-, we still need to add more EMTs and paramedics for sure. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. There will be a holiday festival Tuesday at 5 p.m. at the state capitol in honor of the National Christmas Tree from the Monongahela National Forest. It's been nearly 50 years since a tree from West Virginia was displayed at the nation's capital, and this, the 100th year, a tree has been lit in the capital eclipse. The 63-foot Norway spruce is touring the state with stops in a number of towns. The capital event will take off with a parade and will include family-friendly activities, showcasing winter offerings from around the state, including ice skating and a light display. The event is free of charge and open to the public. The U.S. Forest Service will be present with a station for attendees to sign a banner for the U.S. Capitol Christmas tree. It's time for West Virginians who need health insurance or are interested in changing their policy to start looking. The open enrollment period for health insurance through the Affordable Care Act open enrollment period runs through January 15, 2024. Participants who enroll in or change their health coverage by December 15th can expect their coverage to begin by January 1st, 2024. In a statement from Senator Joe Manchin, he noted that because of the Inflation Reduction Act, four in five customers find quality coverage for less than $10 a month. National estimates show that, on average, consumers receiving tax credits continue to save over $800 in premiums per year. To learn more about the ACA open enrollment and available health insurance plans, visit healthcare.gov for more information. The Allegheny Front, based in Pittsburgh, is a public radio program that reports on environmental issues in the region. Here's their latest story about Monsanto and problems with the weed killer Roundup. Last week, a Philadelphia jury awarded a $175 million verdict in favor of a man who said the weed killer Roundup caused his cancer. This is the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsapple. Investigative journalist Carrie Gillum has written extensively about Monsanto's weed killer glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, including in her book The Monsanto Papers. It centered on Lee Johnson, who was exposed to the chemical at work, got cancer, and sued. I asked Gillum what was revolutionary about his case. We now, you know, have had over 100,000 people in the United States sue Monsanto, which is actually now a unit of the German company Bayer AG. But Lee was the first person to take this question to court as to whether or not Roundup, uh, in Lee's case, it was a chemical called Ranger Pro, but also made by Monsanto, also based on the active ingredient glyphosate. And he was the first person to go to trial claiming that exposure caused him to develop non-Hodgkin lymphoma. 
And he also claimed that Monsanto knew of the risks of this, but had worked very hard to hide this from the public and from regulators. And of course, he ended up winning a $289 million jury verdict in that case. You mentioned there have been other litigants since then, but what's happened since the case? Did it make a difference in how Monsanto is viewed and how they practice business? Well, it really did have an impact. The trial began in June of 2018, which was the exact same month that the Monsanto shareholders sold the company to Bayer. When the jury award was announced, Bayer's stock price plummeted and roughly 40% of their market cap was wiped out immediately. The shareholders could see the writing on the wall. They knew this was just the first of many, many, many thousands of cases The company has agreed to pay at least about $12 billion in settlements to plaintiffs in the United States, even though many plaintiffs are not settling and continuing to go to trial. And it also led the company to say that they would remove glyphosate products from the U.S. consumer market. Many countries have looked to ban or limit the use of glyphosate. Mexico is one. The U.S. State Department and other officials are working with Bayer to try to convince Mexico not to do that. They've threatened trade sanctions. So really, there's a lot going on. What do you think is the most misunderstood aspect of pesticide manufacturing or use? A lot of people say, well, you're confusing a weed killer with a pesticide. They're two different things. They're not two different things. A pesticide is an umbrella term used by regulators to encompass insecticides, herbicides. And the companies that make the synthetic pesticides like glyphosate or atrazine chlorpyrifosta, Camba, 2,4-D, They commonly use these chemicals during warfare. And when we weren't really waging war anymore, like we were in Vietnam with Agent Orange, they needed a new application. And they convinced farmers and and pretty much everybody else that these chemicals were needed to feed the world. The impact of this huge increase in pesticide use over the last 30 or 40 years has just wreaked havoc on biodiversity. They've impacted the health of the soil. And they've been shown many of these pesticides to impact our health. Carrie Gillum is the author of the Monsanto Papers. She'll be speaking at a Women for a Healthy Environment event in Pittsburgh on November 9th. That's the Allegheny Front Environment Update. I'm Carol Holsoppel. The Allegheny Front is based in Pittsburgh and reports on regional environmental news. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. Where do things stand? Becoming mostly sunny today, high temperatures in the 60s and low 70s. Increasing clouds tonight with lows in the 40s and 50s. Tomorrow, variable cloudiness with a slight chance of rain, highs in the 60s. Support for WVPB is provided by CRW Airport, with new flights to Orlando, Florida, Charleston, South Carolina, and Tampa, Florida on Breeze Airways. Visit JaegerAirport.com.
The dire shortage of EMTs and paramedics across West Virginia is now trending in a positive direction. But there is still much to be done to remedy what many call a first responder mental health crisis. Randy Yoey spoke with Jody Ratliff, director of the state Office of Emergency Medical Services, on meeting the challenges facing those who come to our aid when we need the help the most. Where do things stand and what are the telling numbers right now regarding EMS vacancies? EMS vacancies statewide were still down. Um, he, we look at it this way. Over the past 11 years, we've lost. Now, over the past year, we have gained around 600 providers. So that's a huge plus. We, we've turned everything around, so we're hitting the right direction. There was a third way back when that you were down like a, a third of your staff. It's not that anymore? Quite not a third, but we're not far from a third either. Mm-hmm. So we're, st- we're still pretty far down. We, we still need to add more EMTs and paramedics for sure. What else are you doing for recruitment and retention? So Senate Bill 737 came out, and that was for EMS Enhancement Fund. For a provider, they're going to see, a, uh, and, and I'll use the term bonus, basically above and beyond what they would normally pay. So what are the key challenges your department faces, and what is underway or planned to meet these challenges? So somewhere around June of 24, if not before then, we're going to have a whole new EMS system. They're going to have all new protocols. Uh, they're going to have more medications. Uh, we're doing away with some of the older medications. We're going to allow paramedics to be paramedics and EMTs to be EMTs in the state. We're kind of getting away from the old stuff that we've been doing for years and years and years. It's outdated. Uh, we, we know it just doesn't work the way it should. So that's it's really a benefit to the patients. That's who it comes down to. You had some first responder mental health care initiatives on the drawing board. Some have maybe kicked off to help handle what many responders and now some legislators are calling a crisis. So where do state support and response team projects stand? Oh, that's a great question. So right now what we, in the Senate Bill 737, part of that, uh, 90% of it went to enhancement of the funds. 10% of it got to go to mental health. So we use that 10% to to allocate to each. Every county got 18800 some odd dollars. And they was able to, what they're able to do with it is use that for, uh, to, to develop a response team. And that is for that critical debriefing. So if in that EMS region, if an agency has a bad call and they need that debriefing for their mental health, we're going to have a, we're going to have response teams to come out and be able to do that. So between the 988 system and now that, those are two things that we've been able to put together, um, to help in the moment. That, that's for that, that it just happened right now. The EMS Coalition and Forrest Wayne from uh, Mon County, uh, they, they created the Mental Health Committee, and they're working on the long-term care. Not that help that I need right there on the spot or in the moment. It's that over time, if I need that, uh, uh, that help over the next year or two, that, that constantly going in and seeing a therapist, things like that. Would that also include proactive or preventive care before mental health issues come up for first responders? That's the other thing we're looking at. We're, we're trying to gather some data. Uh, hopefully we start that in 24 to be able to get some data so we can do preventative care for first responders. So actually, in-the-moment care, uh, with that divvying up of 18,000-plus to each county, is there actually a response team if there's a real critical trauma incident and some of the first responders like need some counseling right then and there. Right now, we do have some uh, some some folks around the state. I wouldn't say it's a critical response team. We've just got some areas around the state, um, some uh, agencies, if you will, that that handle situations like that. 
we want to be able to develop those response teams so EMS, fire, and law enforcement are helping EMS, fire, and law enforcement. There's no better help than people who do it themselves. Is there a particular training, first of all, uh, for state EMTs? And is to talking about mental health and trying to understand things as a as a incoming EMT, uh, is that involved in the training? Not yet, and I'm glad you asked that because it will be. When you come into EMS as an as EMT class, AMT class, paramedic class, or a critical care class. Every time that you go into one of those classes, we're going to have it set up, hopefully in 24, that you'll get about 10 slides about mental health. Uh, Not just your own mental health, but also who you can call the numbers, how to get a hold of people, things like that. So we want, from, from, from your start of your career all the way to the top of your career, we want you seeing that in your face every single time that you take a class one. And can we get to the point of just sponging away any kind of suck-it-up attitude? No. <laughs> it will always be there for the simple fact of uh, there's always another call coming. So it's how we handle that call. It's, it, it, you know, even though it's kind of a we got to suck it up, move to the next one, it doesn't mean that we move past it. It doesn't mean that we just don't talk about it ever again. Yes, we have to be able to suck it up to move on to the next call. But once it's over with, okay, now let's sit down and talk. Um, and it's the older paramedics, and, and, and I really hope that that message gets out to the EMS community. It's the older paramedics who have to stand up and say, listen, I've, I've been there, and I understand what you're going through. And so let's sit down and talk about it. We just can't ignore it because otherwise it, just, it eats inside of you, and then it comes out in bad ways. You mentioned that once before, that the older paramedics have to uh, set that example. Do you believe they are? More than what they were in the past. In, in my almost 24 years, I can tell you that the older medics, uh, it was a suck-it-up attitude. We're not going to talk about it. Uh, we'll, we'll handle it in, in, in bad ways and just you know, not, not pay attention to it. I think the older paramedics are stepping up and saying, you know what, he's right. You know, and the rest of the community is right. Like it, It's got to start with us. And yes, it has affected us. And he- that was State EMS Director Jody Ratliff talking with Randy Yoey on hiring and keeping first responders on the job and caring for their mental health. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Brianna Heaney, Caroline McGregor, Chris Schultz, Curtis Tate, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, and Randy Yowie. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. Mm-hmm.